Yogi Berra said, it's 90% mental, the other half is physical. My name is Ryan LaVarnway, Major League Catcher and Minor League Grinder, and I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. Down the right field line, pretty well hit, LaVarnway! It's the right way here tonight! In this show... I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. Welcome to Finding the Way. I am Ryan LaVarnway, and today I am joined by Ryan Harris, Fighting Irish from Notre Dame, 10-year NFL veteran, Super Bowl 50 champion, number one best-selling author, broadcaster, the list goes on and on. Ryan, I'm so glad that you are joining me today. Thank you for coming on the show. Man, it's great to be here, Ryan, and congratulations again on being a father and, and continuing your dream, my brother. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we were just talking before we started the show about you knew you were good basically the first time you put on pads. Your coach singled you out. What did that mean to you as a 14-year-old kid, and how did it really shift your mindset going forward? It created what I call a shattering moment. There are moments we have in our life where, where the limits we've placed on ourselves are shattered. And it's funny because that same practice, my first practice ever in pads, we had gotten our pads the day before, and one of my buddies from school was like, hey, let's go heads up, let's hit. And I was like, nah, man, nah. He's like, come on, man, why? I'm like, you can't tell anybody. He's like, all right. I'm like, I can't hit, man. I don't know how to hit. And he just started dying laughing, and you know, coaches are laughing, and and sure enough, the next practice comes, and I just showed up, you know. And one of the things I loved at the Pittsburgh Steelers, they say, first rule in getting better is showing up. So I showed up the next day. Like, hey, they gave me the pads. They let me go home with it. I mean, this is what I'm thinking, you know what I mean? As a 14-year-old, I'm like, well, I better show back up. So I'm gnawing on my mouth guard, and we get to a play in practice, and a cornerback makes an interception. I end up just chasing him, cleaning his clock, and it turns out I knew how to hit. So there was just such a catalyst in that 24 hours for me. You know, I went from being – humiliated and embarrassed and lacking self-belief to completely shattering any limits I had thought of and really started opening myself up to, hey, I might be, I might be, I might be good at this. Not great. I was just like, I might be good at this, you know, and I believe we all remember the first thing that we were good at one way or another, but then becoming great is a whole nother process that took me many, many years to learn. And, and it's sort of a, a cycle, isn't it? We all like to do things that we're good at. And then since we're, we're doing them more often, we get better at them. And it's a self-fulfilling cycle where I'm good at it. I'm going to work harder at it. I'm going to get better at it. And that's how you become great. Would you agree? A hundred percent. That's where most people derail, right? Hey, I'm good. I've had success. I don't need to get better. I mean, I added something every offseason in the NFL in my 10-year NFL career. And the last one being how to breathe. Because with Peyton Manning, I had to learn how to breathe again. So I went to an MMA coach to breathe. And when you go against somebody who loves to compete, who's willing to improve, you have to get better. Otherwise, you get, you know, compound, you know, the, the reverse compound of, be, you know, of getting worse. You just compound your failure because you lack a willingness and a skill now. And that's something that your opponent does not do. Your opponent has willingness and has a new skill. And you lack willingness and lack a new skill. How can you possibly win? You mentioned Peyton Manning. Can you talk to me about the need to breathe and what he asked of you, what he demanded of you? What I love is there wasn't really any conversation with Peyton. It was just, you know, you're, this is how we're going to run plays. We're going to, you know, to give an example, 
typically in an OTAs we would run 35 to 40 plays. And with Peyton Manning, you're going to run, you know, 65 to 75 plays. So, and you don't want to be the fat guy <laughs> drooling and heaving on Peyton Manning. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's happened to a lot of people. So I said, you know, I got to, not only do I want to play, I got to figure out how to control my breathing. And so Mark Montoya at Factory X is a guy I know. He had multiple fighters in the MMA. And I just know from watching MMA that guys have to readjust. They have to catch their breath. And you can watch any at any stoppage in a round. Guys are really, really cognizant of their breath. And, um, and so he taught me. He said, yeah, breathe, you, you got to breathe in for five. Hold it, swallow the breath, breathe out for eight. And that changed my performance because it gave me something to do when I was out of breath. Now, mind you, this is my ninth year in the NFL, 16th year playing football, and somebody taught me how to breathe, right? It's amazing how we lose those fundamentals and basics, but it's something that really made a difference for me. And it also taught me not to fear losing your win because when you lose your wind quickly you're you're quicker to that second wind where you're in that performance zone so it was incredibly powerful for me and if i was not willing to learn that who knows what would have happened that season yeah the willing to learn and the drive to learn you also just talked about how you added something every offseason the average nfl career is three three plus seasons you played for 10 years 10 seasons what was it that kept you motivated to keep coming back? And how did you keep that going? And what can someone else take from your drive that can maybe help them? Well, absolutely self-motivated. You have to decide your path. Um, one, I would say I, I was incredibly blessed. I mean, not a lot of teams are going to you know, pick up a kid who just had back surgery in college and then had to have three more in the NFL. And that's, you know, then I kind of put my career together. So I was incredibly blessed just physically and spiritually, I would say. And the other thing is, I just never cared what was important to somebody else. I cared what was important to me. And what I wanted to do was be great. And I'll tell you something. There are teams that are on. You have a lot of guys that don't want to be great. There are 1,600 players in the NFL every year, and only 53 call themselves champions. There are over 1,000 players who are happy to take a paycheck home, right? And that's isn't that society, too, right? There are a lot of people who are what Mike Tomlin at the Steelers calls comfort seekers or what many, you know, and it's, it's a natural human feeling. But for me, I just knew that I could, as long as I could continue to improve and I could find these things, I could have success. And, and I was tested. Don't get me wrong. I had self doubt before every game. I had self doubt before the Super Bowl, but I also knew that self doubt was part of the process of reaching greatness, right? We're never nervous when we get our favorite ice cream because we know what's going to happen. But when we reach for something new, that's when that doubt comes in. That fear represents itself to you. And I just got comfortable with that. I, I accepted that fear was a part of every performance. And I really started to just focus on the internal motivation, not the external. It almost sounds like you seek being uncomfortable. A hundred percent. I want to reach the edge. You know, I wanted because guess what? When you play against me, you're going to be uncomfortable. I promise you. Right. And and I needed that. I needed tools in the toolbox, right? So one of the things I could do was if my, if my punch wasn't hitting you right, I could change my target. I could change my set. You know, you're a catcher. You know your setup is very – changing your setup can kind of influence a batter, right? You can do that as a lineman too. And that's one of the reasons why I love baseball because there's so much nuance that can really affect your opponent. 
And I re- and I, so I took from you know the samurai culture. I took from the tai chi culture. I took from baseball. I took from basketball, and, and I just I, I took from Bruce Lee. Right. I continued to learn about athletic feats of performance. You know, Michael Phelps was incredible to watch. How did he continue to win gold medals? Wasn't he done? Wasn't he tired after the first one? You know. So this, there's these examples that I really looked at. And I'm a firm believer, whatever it is you want to do, find the people that are doing it at a high level and know everything about how they did it. it don't, maybe don't do it exactly the same, but you better start understanding what it takes to get where you want to go. This is extremely interesting to me. You said you learned from Tai Chi, you learned from Bruce Lee. Can you give me a specific example of something that they did that you learned from and put into your game in, in football? Well, one of the things I loved with, Bruce Lee is his whole point. He's like, don't have a style. Learn all the styles and use what's good for you. And that was fascinating because when you become a a performer, especially an athlete, you think, well, if this guy does it that way, I want to do it like him. Well, that guy's literally built different than you, right? He could be taller, shorter arms, longer arms, shorter legs, smaller calves, whatever it is. You can't be that person. So I can't learn what a guy does to be that guy and expect to have that performance. So it was really, for me at a young age, Bruce Lee gave me gave me permission to look beyond being an offensive lineman and doing what an offensive lineman does to learn what it takes to be a champion. You know, the Book of Five Rings, a, ring I, a book I highly suggest for any performer or business person, it teaches you the, the, the concept of no thing. That there's no thing outside of yourself that makes you dangerous. You are dangerous. A sword by itself is not dangerous. The person wielding the sword makes it dangerous or not. So here you are with your skill, right? Are you somebody who makes this skill a, a profession? Or are you somebody who understands this skill, but it's not a profession? And those are things that really help just broaden my horizons, look out further. And with Tai Chi, I mean, how do you not understand connection with mind and body? The fact that coaches don't talk about this, right, is crazy. And it's historically how you reach great performance. Can you control your movements? Can you control your breath? I mean, these are very key things, not just to sports, but parenting, right, relationships, uh, being a family member, being a community member. And, and, I, and I just love to continue to see myself bigger than what I was doing, but what I could do. I'm big on capabilities, not limitations. It sounds like you're kind of referencing some other ideas you talk about in your book, in your blog. In your book, you talk about, I am, I can, I will. Yeah. And, and in your, your blog, multiple of your blog posts, you talk about the number one most important thing for a leader is to know yourself. Yes. Um, so when you're talking about it's not the tool that I'm using, it's not my football pad, it's not my the sword I'm swinging, it's me. How did you get to know yourself along the way? Because you, you said you went from a 14-year-old that didn't think you knew how to tackle to the next day, I'm a tackler that has the potential to be one of the best in the world. How did you learn yourself along the way? Well, I, I understood and accepted that I was just different in what I liked and how I moved. I work towards it, right? And, you know, really, though, too, playing this year we won Super Bowl 50 was really a huge year for me, of course, professionally, but also personally. Because when you work out with Peyton Manning, who who practices fumbled snaps in between bench press reps, by the way, (laughs) right? Like, you, Peyton Manning looks different. A day with Peyton Manning is different. And I had spent my entire, you know, even even as trying to maximize my my ability as a professional and an offensive lineman, 
I wanted to be a part of the group, whether that was a part of the starting group or hanging out with the guys. But I just didn't know how to articulate. Look, I, I care more about winning between July and February than I do about partying or anything else or cars. I just don't care. I have a, I, I'm focused on this. And that, and that alienated me from a lot of teams, right? I wouldn't be going out on a Thursday or Friday night. I don't care. That's, that's the middle of the week. Trust me. There, Vegas is open 365 <laughs> days a year. You want a party, it's there for you. And, and I felt, you know, I felt like an outcast at places I was at sometimes because I did want to win. And then I was on a team that wanted to win a championship where every single person wanted to win. And it looks different. It sounds different. And it, it was like, whoa, I'm not crazy. Like, it does matter what yeah. you do in June. It does matter how you, you know, do your yoga or whatever your routine is that you get it done. It does matter that family's not a distraction, right? Yeah. So I think so many times, whether you're in business or sports, we see somebody doing something and we assume that they want to be great. That's not the case. But when you do want to be great, you're going to scare the shit out of a lot of people. They're going to try and put you down. They're going to try and tell you what matters doesn't matter because then they have to do it too. And so a lot of this was me just hoping and believing more than I was actually experiencing. And then I got to experience it all. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It does, you know, it sounds different. It looks different. And I embrace that now because that's greatness does look different. It does sound different. And mediocrity is every day. You have a choice. Yeah, I understand completely. In my baseball career, the two major league teams that have made the playoffs, the one that won the World Series and then the Marlins team that made the second round of playoffs, both of those teams talked about winning and their ultimate goal every single day. You yes. showed up to the field, everything you're doing you're taking BP, you're practicing, you're holding team meetings. It's all about the result, the goal that you want at the end of the year. And, you're and you have to it. work towards it every day, Yeah. right? And I'm glad that you had that experience because, unfortunately, a lot of athletes don't have that experience. Whether it's high school, college, peewee, know what it takes to win. And even now in life, it's tough to put out gold, right? Because it says, one goal I have, I want to call an NFL game within three years on TV. Now, it's terrifying to say that because if I don't, then I fail, right? But I've had so much experience failing. Every athlete you've seen has had so much experience failing, whether it's in the weight room, in workouts, on the field. I just don't care about failing. I do care about trying. And that's where I'm going to put my effort and energy, and I'm, and I'm willing to say that. And you're right. So many teams won't even say we want to win a championship because they're afraid of what it means yeah. if they don't. And you, and you talk about failure as being a positive Another thing you talk about in your blog as, as something that makes a, a leader of a great team help the team be great is reframing failure. And yes. a failure is an opportunity or a jumping off point or an opportunity to pivot in a better direction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, the first thing you can do is always check in with yourself. And you mentioned I use I am, I can, I will. All right, I am, I am out of this sale or I am upset because I failed. But then what happens next? Don't look to blame somebody. What can you do? I can make sure this doesn't happen again. I will do these three things to ensure that I'm prepared for the next opportunity. But as a player, only one team in NFL history, I believe now 55 Super Bowls, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, only one team's gone undefeated. So literally, historic, you're going to lose at some point. Now, I've played for coaches when we were 6-0 and and we lost our first game, and then we only won one more game the rest of the year because they freaked out about losing. You are going to fail. What matters is what you do next. 
No player takes the field in the NFL saying, I'm only playing this game because we're going to win it. No, you got to go earn that win, right? But how many times in life do we say, like, oh, gosh, like, I'm, I'm only going to take this class or get this master's if I know it's going to make me extra money? That's not how this works. This isn't, we can't choose our destiny like that. So reframing failure is huge. And, and it, even f- reframing success, the best thing, one of the best things I think happened after we won the AFC championship game, the year we won the Super Bowl, was, you know, you got all this excitement. Families asking you. I had 200 ticket requests in 48 hours for the Super Bowl. I didn't even know how I was getting tickets yet, right? And Gary Kubiak stood in front of the team, and the first thing he said was, I need you for 12 days, right? Now think about this. You've got your, your legacy, immortalities on your mind. You know, who am I going to bring? Who am I not going to bring? What's the party like? Who are they going to have perform at the party? Uh-uh, uh-uh, hey, hey, hey. He said, I need you for 12 days, and I promise you, I'll be partying with you afterwards. Now, all of a sudden, you took the the legacy, the immortality, you took it all away, and you said to a grown adult, I need your best for 12 days. That's reframing, you know, that's taking everything from here and making it something that we can conceive and believe, right? My my kids fell off their bikes. Does that mean that they're going to not ever ride a bike? No, I said, hey, I am somebody who failed at biking too, and I am somebody who well, who got back up? I can get back up, and I will, and I will ride that bike. That's what I did. Can you get back up to my kids? Yeah. So very similar. Just reframing it, sharing a story about you know how you failed, leading with an example that makes a difference too. That's so poignant. I think in taking the, <laughs> you did that so eloquently of bringing a Super Bowl win into into your your kid falling off their bike, and I I can appreciate how you can make that correlation because. Not everyone is going to be in the situation where they have a chance to win the Super Bowl, but everyone, I think, has ridden a bike and can relate to that. Before I let you go, I want to talk to you about one more thing. You talk about all the time how you believe it is everyone's right to be extraordinary and that when we believe in ourselves, we can change the world. Yeah. If you were going to talk to yourself at 14 or another kid out there that has a dream, it's maybe something that isn't really widely done. They want to accomplish something that not a lot of people are going to get to do, and they want to change the world. What's the best advice you have for them? Work so hard that you can believe in your dream. The failure of many is just to have a a, a dream, right? You have to work for it. And I want you to work so hard that you have no other choice but then to believe in your dream. Whether it's the last free throw or the first test or college entry, what did you do to get there? Did you work so hard that belief is the only option. That's the biggest thing. And when you do that, you can trust yourself, right? When you do that, you can let it go. So work so hard that belief is the only option. I've never been asked that, but I, that's that's exactly what I would tell my younger self. And save more money. Learn to invest. <laughs> that's what I would say, you know, just you can't solve other people's problems by giving them money. There's a work ethic that we each have within us. It's only in the area that we're most passionate about. And when we reach that passionate area, if we work, the winning's a matter of time. You have a process now. So work so hard that belief is your only option. That's beautiful. I appreciate your time today, Ryan. If I summarize everything we talked about, it's know who you are, reframe failure, work your butt off, and have fun doing it, right? Absolutely. Every damn day. Have (laughs) some fun. Smile. Be a supporting actor in another person's movie in your life. And thanks for having me, Ryan. Congratulations on all your success. You're an inspiration. You're a worldwide inspiration, my friend. (laughs) It's an honor to share time with you. Thank you so much. We'll have to do this again soon, Ryan. Thank you.
Go Irish. Thank you so much for listening to Finding the Way. I'm Ryan LaVarnway, and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ryan Harris. With his mindset of embracing being uncomfortable and always looking for new ways to learn, it's no wonder he became a champion. Subscribe now to get updated on future episodes as I talk with more elite athletes and mindset coaches on this season of Finding the Way. See you next time.